I just want you to know that, you see, I'm not alone in this belief. There's been thousands that have believed this, but they've still been the minority. But even some there, like I said, but that to me is the deepest profound thing to think that Romans 6.1 is a proof, becomes a proof of whether or not we're actually preaching the true gospel. Because if we are doing our job and preaching the true gospel, there are always going to be people out there that are going to misunderstand that and take it as a license to sin. It's not a license to sin, but they'll take it. Now, Chuck Swindoll, I quoted freely from his book. He wrote a book years ago called The Grace Awakening. I think it's 1990 or 1991. Listen to this. Chuck Swindoll's comment about grace. Quote, all this brings me to the reality of the risk. I ask again, is grace risky? You bet your life it is. There's great risk in the message I'm writing. I'm well aware that this issue of grace is indeed controversial, especially when I'm calling for a new awakening to the freedom Christians have in Christ. A few will take what I write and go crazy with it. Others will misread what I write and misquote me, misunderstand me, and charge me with caring little about the holiness of God because they will say, I give people the freedom of sin. On the other hand, some in the camp of carnality, in other words, people that are Christians, otherwise, on the other hand, some in the camp of carnality will thank me for relieving their guilt <laughs> because in their misunderstanding, they now think it's okay for them to continue in their loose and carefree lifestyle. I wish these things would not occur, but that is the chance I'm willing to take by holding nothing back in order that the full message of grace be set forth. Yes, grace that is presented in all its charm and beauty is risky. It brings grace abusers as well as grace killers out from under the rocks. Hallelujah. See, everywhere you go, there's grace abusers and there's grace killers. And did you hear that? Did you hear that? In the body of Christ, if we do get enough, get bold enough to preach this, some of you will abuse it. You hear me? That's proven by history. And others will just do their best to kill it. I'm trusting that you won't want to kill it. I'm also trusting that you won't want to abuse it. That you'll follow the whole story through. Now, we've just got a few more minutes, but I'm going to go ahead because we're trying to catch up on lesson five. Because this is... <laughs> Now I've got three more. Anyhow, point A real quick on the next page. This is an illustration, again, from Chuck Swindoll's book about the difference between vengeance, justice, and grace. He said, quote, Imagine that you have a six-year-old son whom you love dearly. Tragically, one day you discover that your son was horribly murdered. Think about this now. Your son's been murdered. After a lengthy search, the investigators of the crime find the killer. You have a choice. If you used every means in your power to kill the murderer for his crime, that would be vengeance. If, however, you're content to sit back and let the local authorities take over and execute upon him what is proper, a fair trial, a plea of guilty, even capital punishment, that's justice. But if you should plead, plead for the pardon of the murderer, Forgive him completely and invite him into your own home and adopt him as your, as your own son. That's what grace is. <laughs> I said, that's grace. I said, that's grace. 
The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ has come to us. We were murderers, fornicators, liars, cheats. We were all of that. And God sent his only begotten son. We, as you hear people say, it's our sins that caused the death of Jesus Christ. And that's true, isn't it? He took upon himself the penalty for our sin. But this is the difference between grace. And I, that, I just think that's something. Like I put in point two, God does this every single day. Think about that. He doesn't bring vengeance. He doesn't even give us justice. He surrounds us with grace every day. Every day. That's phenomenal. Point B, to walk and live in the grace of God permits his intended plan to evolve in our lives. Now this is, again, we're just going to go through some scriptures real quickly. Just get about five minutes. Acts 20, verse 32 in the Amplified Bible. Now listen, again, here again is Luke writing the book of Acts, but listen to this. He said, and now, brethren, I commit you to God. Actually, this is talking about Paul, but anyhow. And now, brethren, I commit you to God. I deposit you in his charge, entrusting you to his protection and care. Now listen, and I commend you. That means I exhort you if you're going to be in anything being this. I commend you to the word of his grace, to the commands and the counsels, and the promises of his unmerited favor for it. Everybody say it. It. The word of grace, see, for it is able to build you up and give you your rightful inheritance among all of God's set apart ones, those consecrated, purified, and transformed soul. Hallelujah. Please hear that. This man at the end of his his walk here said, When it's all said and done, he said, I commend you to the word of his grace because it is what's going to be able to build you up and give you your inheritance. I see every single one of you in this room. Now, the next verse we have down here is 1 Peter 1, 3, and 4. Let's read it. Praised, honored, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah. By his boundless mercy, we have been born again to an ever-living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, born anew into an inheritance which is beyond the reach of change and decay. It's imperishable. It's unselling. It's unfaded. Now listen, it's reserved in heaven for you. But I want you to catch this. In heaven, you know, have you ever had a reservation to go to a show? What I mean, there's a seat reserved for you. There's an inheritance that's got your name on it that's reserved in heaven waiting for you. But now take it back to Acts 20, 32. I commend you to the word of God's grace because it's that that's going to be able to build you up and it's going to be able to bring you into the inheritance. It's going to bring you into the inheritance that God has for you. This is what we've got to stick to, my friends. You've got to stick to this. Real quickly, point C, if we were not to live by faith and stand in the grace of God alone, what would be some of the alternatives? And I'm just going to read this quickly and trust that you'll read them over yourself later. The number one way would be, which is what I've got here is point number one, which is what most churches do. They emphasize works over grace. Behavior, behavior, behavior. We can urge sinners to have a stronger commitment to Christ and be demonstrated by the work you do on His behalf before you can say that you truly believe. But now the problems with that are, number point A, sinners can't commit to anything if they're spiritually dead, and all sinners are spiritually dead. 
Point B, becoming an obedient, submissive disciple of Christ follows believing in Christ. You don't believe first. I mean, you know, you know what I mean? You don't believe first, then do all these good works. Point C, works follow faith. Point D, behavior follows belief. Point E, fruit comes after the tree is well-rooted. 